Welcome to the Entrepreneur Breakthrough Podcast with your host, Mark Marley, a former U.S. Marine turned serial entrepreneur and breakthrough coach. Each week, we bring you a message from an inspiring professional or interviews with successful people who've overcome challenges that may have stopped most entrepreneurs in their tracks. Those breakthrough moments are what this podcast is all about. Welcome to the Entrepreneur Breakthrough Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Marley. Today, do I have a great treat for you. One of my heroes, mentors for many years in the sales world, Randy Schwanz. Randy and I met about, I think, 15 years ago at an event in Nashville. And I read his book and it's kind of changed. All these years, it's changed how I do sales and how I teach sales. So it's a great honor for me to welcome Randy today. Hi, Randy. Hey, Mark. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. Thank you. Good. It looks beautiful behind you. Yeah. See a golf course behind you? Yeah, I was down in the uh, clubhouse, and we couldn't get a good connection, so I thought I'd come out here on the balcony, and there it is, man. Yeah, it's a beautiful day here in Raleigh, North Carolina. Wow, that's, that's beautiful. Yep. It's a beautiful day here, too, luckily. Good. I spent some, spent some time last week in Las Vegas, and it was hot. Then some Florida time. It's nice to be back when it's 80 degrees and not 105. Yeah. Well, I think we're at 92, 95, but that's a lot better than 105, that's for sure. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. So, Randy, tell us a little bit about who you are. First of all, I'll start out if I could introduce you. Back, I think, I was trying to figure out when we met. I'm guessing it was probably around 2005 when you first spoke at Robin's event, possibly in Nashville. And I'm not sure you probably know more than I do, but that's what I, I think about 15 years ago. Yeah, I think it's probably, yeah, it's probably 2007. That's when I came out with how to get your competition fired without saying anything bad about it. Okay, that's great. That's about when it was. Yep. Because what I started doing, the first book that I read of yours was The Wedge. Mm -hmm. And, And after meeting you recently, Randy and I reconnected recently and I realized that you'd written this, the other books, but I've always known you as The Wedge. And when I read The Wedge, I implemented the processes that you taught. It wasn't only until recently that I realized that you wrote that for a very specific industry at the time. I implemented it. It worked so well for me that I even use it and I teach it today to my, to my clients in my private mastermind group. So what I'm going to do, so Randy, tell us about like, who you are and what brought you to write this book. I mean, I'll, yeah, I'm just a uh... I'm just a guy like you're just a guy. And, um, you know, there was a, there was a time in my life where, uh, I'm one of those, I'm one of those dudes that that decided not to go to college. I went, well, I went for three half days, you know, Tuesday, Thursday, Tuesday, and that quit. Um, and, and honestly struggled to get a good job. And then, um, through some divine intervention, I guess you could say, I ended up with my own consulting practice and, uh, doing sales training because I take a lot of sales training. And at, at some point I felt like I knew at least, a little bit more than a lot of people. And, um, and one of my niches that I, I started focusing on was commercial insurance. And the, the, the big epiphany after a short period of time was that there's three people in a sales interview, seller, buyer, and the bad boy incumbent. And it was interesting that it, not only was it true back then, it's still true for a lot of people today. They, they have blinders on about the fact that the incumbent is sitting in the chair, has the relationship. Many times, when you make a proposal or presentation to your client, your prospect, I should say, somehow that gets leaked back to the incumbent and they'll match it and keep it. So if you can't drive wedge when you're prospecting incumbent, chances are you're going to get rolled. So that was the epiphany. Um, 
I never, I won't tell you, I, you know, I'll, maybe I'll tell you the story later, but the, the way, the, it was kind of interesting the way it became known as the wedge. I, I just thought of as, I was teaching people to ask a better process to deal with the incumbent, and, you know, close more business and all sort of stuff. And then through another divine intervention became, came known as the wedge and wrote another book. And all of a sudden it just, uh, it changed my life because I was changing other people's lives. So what took you to commercial insurance at that point where you weren't in the <laughs> insurance industry yourself, were you? <laughs> No, I just made a cold call. I mean, when I first, I had been in the construction business for a long time, working as a subcontractor. And uh, this is back in the late 80s. And everybody was going bankrupt. And we had the savings loan trust scandal and Charles Keating and all that sort of stuff. And I had three companies go bankrupt on me. So a friend of mine had a small advertising agency. I went to work with him doing, just doing some deals, putting things together. And, um, and then I started doing some one-day sales training gigs for some of my clients. I then decided to break off. My wife, Lori, got pregnant with our first child. I needed to make more money. And, um, and so one of those first five clients became, take me to lunch one day and said, Reed, I think you ought to focus on insurance, which is what he was in. He was one of five. I go, why? And he said, three reasons. Number one, they make a lot of money. They can afford to pay you to do this well. Uh, number two, no internal competition. Uh, number three, I can't remember what he said. Anyway, I started as a niche and that's it. I mean, it's like, you know, another divine intervention, brother. It is. And now today, all these years later, you're known as an industry leader in sales when there's an incumbent, especially in that commercial insurance world. Right. So what I understand about the process that you have, you have, a, I think, a software package called Bignition and a training, path, training program. You have live events. But I understand that the key is that you train producers to learn to insert, I guess, tactics or phrases or, communi- I guess, communication that puts, I guess, drives the wedge between the, the incumbent and the current and the, the prospect. And the, way, and the title, your, I think, your next book, which is, I believe, How to Get Your Competition Fired, I believe that that's the whole idea is you're able to wedge in information, which is, but doesn't, you don't have to actually say anything bad about the, the incumbent. Is that the whole gist no. of this? Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the, the interesting sort of thing psychologically is the reason most people you know, put on their blinders and play like the incumbent doesn't exist because we all been taught if you can't say something nice, don't say anything else at all. And don't, don't ever say anything bad about the other guy and be professional and all sort of stuff. And that's all. It's good. I mean, mama would approve, right? But but the challenge is there's an incumbent and the challenge is they're sitting in the king's seat. And the challenge is they have a better relationship with their client, your prospect than you do. And the challenge is unless they're bad and, you know, they could be bad. If they're bad, they're probably not a, not a hard sell. But many times, you know, we're out knocking on doors trying to set appointments we go in and the reason the prospect's listening to us is because they want to keep the current person honest uh they want to hear good ideas and maybe if you're just absolutely extraordinary you'll get the deal but most of us are not that extraordinary and so unless we've got a better process to raise the expectation of the buyer get them to discover the income is not doing their job hence driving that wedge and then moving them out reducing their credibility if we don't have a way to do that man you can end up quoting on a lot of business and not win very much and that was the problem so could you Give me an example of what you would use as a wedge in a situation that I could use this to make the incumbent maybe look not as qualified as I am without saying it myself. Well, yeah, I, I, I probably won't give you an example. I'll just tell you how it works. What we're going to do is instead of instead of saying anything bad, we're, we're going to make the assumption the incumbent is doing what we do. Hey, hey, when, when, when your rep comes out to do and then you lay out what you do, that way you don't have to worry about a certain problem or you couple how they do that. And so what really makes it work is that you truly are better than them. And so then we get back to, well, okay, how do you get better? Like in the business you're in right now, you and everybody you compete with uses the same tools, 
same equipment. Everybody uses the same stuff because there's only so many vendors and most of it comes from, you know, it's Microsoft. It's, it's different things for your, your, your filters for your, oh, whatever you call it. Um, you, you know what I'm talking about. I just can't think of it. You know, spam filters and all that kind of stuff. I mean, th- th- there's just, there's a finite world of, of, of manufacturers and vendors that in a sense, you guys are almost brokers for. So it's not those things as the product. There's no difference in that. That's all commodity. The difference is in how you do what you do. And then the secret to all this stuff and making it work is to take what you do and how you do it, box it up and give it a name. Do you have kids, Mark? Yes, I do. I have two kids, 20 and 17. Two kids. Eh? There you go. So is that what you call them, 20 and 17? <laughs> That's right. I have Samantha and Alexander. No, I love that. Sa- Samantha and Alexander. That's it. So they've got unique names. Right. And then so with Samantha comes probably a female, certain height, blah, 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 blah. So when you can take your service, break it into distinct elements, just like your children and your family, give them names and be able to describe that process. Now you've got what I call proactive services that you can use then to wedge and beat the incumbent. And it's not keep this in mind. It's not that your competition can't do that. It's that they don't do that. They they reverse they go the opposite of specific and they go abstract. They talk about their capabilities. They talk about how long we've been doing this. They talk about we're local and we care. And they talk about themselves a lot in a conceptual way. And the, the thing that every time I'm teaching a class, I sit there and go, okay, try to try to visualize I'm local. What do you get out of that? Try to visualize we're better. It's all, it's too conceptual. You can't visualize it. So we call the step when we teach the wedge, we call that step picture perfect because we're trying to paint a picture that the buyer can visualize, a process that they're doing. So then you can create contrast. They can compare the two and go, my guy doesn't do that. And if you can get about three, my guy doesn't do that, you've destroyed the credibility of the incumbent and you're well on your way to having the wedge do its job so you can set up and do the next part, which is emotionally work the buyer through what it's going to be like to tell the other guy it's over. That's one of the powerful parts of the process that I like. And I've used it many times, which is once you think they decided, they told you that we're going to switch to your services, there's always that point where the prospect or the client now has to tell the incumbent that they're finished and they're moving on. And there's a conversation that has to be had. And I believe part of your training is you, you go through that, rehearse that conversation. Say. That's correct. That's absolutely correct. Because, I mean, some of the people listen to this, you know, if you ever had to fire somebody, I'm talking about it like an employee or anybody like that. I mean, sell them to you, just walk in there, put a gun to the head, and boom, you're gone. Unless they have been totally immoral, unethical, and stole from you. But in most cases, that's not true. And so, you know, you sit there and think, yeah, we got to let this person go. We got to let this person go. We got to let this person go. But then you justify, justify, justify. Well, buyers from us, our buyers are doing the same thing with their incumbent rep, whoever that is. Justify, 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 justify. So we got to work them through what it's like to tell the other person that it's over and work through that emotional piece so when the time comes, it's not hard for them. It's like watching the movie the second time. Right. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. It's made it a lot easier for me because I do rehearse that with, with my clients as well. So the last thing I'd yep. like to know is the sales process, I've used it and it works well in my industry and I've taught it. Are there certain industries that you can think of? I know the commercial insurance industry that this would be beneficial to someone to, to buy your book or attend a training with certain specific industries or a type of industries. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the kind of, in, I mean, it's like you think about financial advisors, there's always an incumbent. Banking, there's always an incumbent. Um, so anywhere will, where, I mean, I think there's two or three things that go into it. Uh, number one, there's enough money in the deal 
that it justifies proactive service, that there's there's typically uh, some sort of annual contract or annual renewal or something implied like that. And where there's a lot of confusion for the buyer. What do you mean by the confusion? See, because what the proactive... Well, I mean, um, oh gosh, man, we take insurance. We'll go look at a number. We'll look at all three. We'll look at insurance, banking, and, and financial services. Um, let's go financial services real fast. I, I don't know how many, but I think there's probably five, six, seven, eight thousand mutual funds. There's probably three, four, five thousand public companies. That's ten thousand choices. And most financial advisors, when they make a recommendation for your portfolio, they'll come up with eight, ten, twelve, fifteen, twenty, whatever it is. So then you sit there and go, well, of all the mutual funds or public companies and everything that's out there. Why, how'd you come up with these eight? And the reality is most advisors can't defend that. And what they say becomes some sort of conceptual garbage, kind of like, well, we got these guys in Boston that are experts. They put together this portfolio and this is what we recommend. Okay. Well, do you know the guys in Boston? Uh, kind of. Well, how do they come up with these eight? Well, they have an algorithm. Okay. Do you understand the guy's algorithm? Uh, nope. So then what, what you find out if you really pushed your financial advisor is that they're making recommendations they really can't defend. So therefore, all of us are buying that stuff based upon trust, not because we really understand it. So, so what makes the wedge work, once again, is that now we're going to destroy that trust through a better process to make things understandable so that people have control over their future rather than just listen to somebody and what they say. Does that make sense at all? Yeah, it makes perfect sense because at some point they can't defend it. And at this point, then you're going to use a wedge process to basically to so that the client has, or the prospect has to ask the incumbent to defend or, it. Or at least they're in their own mind, the prospect's going to their own mind, like, yeah, they, 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 they don't get it. They can't do this. Why am I wasting my time? Right. So they've also dispelled the myth that they're an expert because now we've dispelled how they choose those eight. So it's just like, it basically levels the playing field now at this point because they don't have a special prime eight. Did better than that. They're just eight people that somebody else chose. You did better than that. You did better and level the playing field. You kicked them off the balcony. I'm serious. Hey. No, you did better than the land than playing field. I'm, I'm just, I'm being very serious. You, you kicked them off the balcony. You've, you've, you've moved them off the stage. They, they become, um, and, and with, and you didn't, you didn't say anything mean or nasty. You, you, in fact, if anything, you made the assumption that these guys are already doing this for you. And when they do this, or you couple how they do it, fire goes, well, they don't do that. And you get about three, I don't do that. And then you, there's some other techniques in the wedge process. I'm not going to bring it up here, but all that stuff is what starts to hook it in emotionally and then lead it to the outcome. I love it. I love it. I think I encourage people who are you know listening to this podcast to go pick up Randy's book. You know, if you're the wedge is very specific, I guess, to the commercial insurance industry. But your other book, How to Get Your Competition Fired, is a great book, and it goes through this entire process. Is that correct? Start to finish, how to how to use the wedge. Yeah, and I would tell people the 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 How to Get Your Competition Fired is is out of print right now. We'll probably come back and get it back on the market again. And um, so, if you're gonna do it, go to my website, thewedge.net. If you go to Amazon, if you go to Amazon, it wouldn't surprise me. The book's not listed for 175 bucks. Uh, so you can look it up. And it's like I get emails all the time like, dude, why is your book so expensive? I, I don't know. Just go to my website, buy it. It's like 38 bucks. So I love it. people outside the industry I love it. and people outside the industry used to buy books for $24. So when you go buy it on my website, it's 38 bucks, or you can go buy it off of Amazon for 175 or you can buy it off of some other deal for $1,200. I don't care, but that's the best place to get it, thewedge.net. I love it, thewedge.net. So good. Read, I love that. Thanks for sharing that, Randy. I learned a lot from the wedge over the years. But what I would like to do on this podcast is I like to help people solve business challenges, whether it be marketing, sales, operations. And I just like the for the guests to, we don't, I don't know the questions in advance ever, but if there's something that you've been working on or thinking about, struggling with, I'd like to hear what it is so we can work through this. Yeah. I mean, one, one of my biggest struggles is finding uh, a legitimate um, 
a legitimate marketing person that, that I could bring on my staff that really understands, they understand funnel, they understand call to actions, they understand landing pages, they, they understand how to build all that stuff and, and get results. Because um, uh, that, I don't, I don't know if that's a highly unique person, but um, I've struggled to find people that are good at it. I find people that say they're good at it and they're not. So that's what happens when you they say they're good. Are, they, are these people that you've contracted with typically use, or are these people you've hired on the staff? Uh, some of both. Contractors certainly have had that experience with a lot of contractors, a number of contractors, and um, and then a couple on staff. And I, I really like to find somebody good on staff I could bring on. I mean, it would it would make a huge difference. Okay, some people do that. Some of the challenges of the, the marketing piece is the world is so broad that it's hard to find one person. Yep. I'm going to kind of get an idea of what happened in the past. Did I'm assuming you must have worked with people. They ran some ads, did some web pages, landing funnels or whatever. What you, Did you get calls, just didn't get people like customers? Did you get leads or like, where did you see this breaking no, down? I mean, we, we had, I, I mean, seriously, we had one great run that lasted about seven or eight months. It was phenomenal. I mean, we, we in that period of time, we were coming off of COVID. We're in that period of time, we, we had about a 50% growth rate. It was awesome. But then it kind of died off and there was no answer to why it died off and then how to keep it going. And, um, you know, my, um, I'd had a, uh, an email database of, you know, eight or 9,000 emails, you know, of which a bunch were agency leaders and stuff like that. And, uh, and then, then it's almost like one day somebody just turned off the tap. It was really weird and uh, never could figure out how to get turned back on again. When the marketing team you had at that time, when they sat down with you and they went through looking at all the ratios and the click-through rates and the view rates and the cost per acquisition, how did that, did that define for you at what point in the funnel it was breaking down? I don't think they could do that. I couldn't get, I couldn't get that out of them. Made them cry. <laughs> I can imagine. Because in the marketing process, there's a lot of things you look at and when I look at. And one of the things I do for clients is I evaluate what they're currently doing, what their spend is, and where stuff's breaking down. A lot of it just has to do simply with messaging or the offer's not there or the audience isn't there. You know, you're, you're either one, if you have, uh, example, a, an offer or a headline that's not compelling, you're not getting people in. If the offer's not, doesn't seem like it's a great offer, that people have to move on immediately, or maybe there's no scarcity, then they're going to move on. There's also a situation where maybe what maybe it's the wrong audience. You can only, you know, like they said, you can't what, sell ice to Eskimos or something. So what, what I like to do, and I evaluate this, give you an idea first, is first look at metrics and find out where it's dying. My thing is you're getting clicks, but you're not getting click-throughs. That means the headline's good. The creative is good, but when you get there, maybe the offer is not compelling enough to get people to take the action. It could be that the lead magnet, if you're using a lead magnet, wasn't you know designed or having a value. Maybe you didn't sell the lead magnet with enough value. A lot of times I see people, they'll if they get clicks on their ad, they have a free lead magnet to get your email address. But if you don't sell that lead magnet with more value than your actual product, there's no reason to click on it. They think you're giving away something free. I always believe they give away your best stuff. And then once they click and they get to your cart and they don't complete, that can just be a simple, they forgot, they got busy, maybe their internet disconnected, and they never were reminded through an email sequence that they left their gold in the cart. You know, they go back and get it. They just forgot about it. You know, if the internet today, we see how many images of I mean, ads a freaking day. It's just easy to forget about Randy. So the ideal is, I think, for, to accomplish what you want to accomplish, it's probably not going to be a marketing person. It's probably going to be a marketing team, whether you bring them in-house or whether you outsource it. 
Because what I think we really have to do is develop a strategy of what you actually want to accomplish and then figure out how we're going to get there. I like to start at the end and work backwards. That gives me an idea of what you have to do in sales. Then we have to find those people, find out what the, the leads are worth. I think in one of the key things I think people miss, the, from the first question I think you have to ask yourself and answer is how much are you willing to pay for a customer? And that, that revolves around lifetime value. And I feel a lot of people put that value on the upfront purchase and not on the lifetime. There's always the, there's always should be a machine in the back end that's generating more sales, whether it be event registrations, additional books, trainings, courses, software registration. So I think what, ha- what we need to figure out is what a lifetime value of a client is and then come up with a number. And we don't have to do it here live what your number is, but come up with a real number of what it's worth to get a client. So my opinion is if a client has a lifetime value for me of $30,000 when they join our membership program, they stay on for a few years, then I think I'm probably willing to spend you know, $10,000 to $12,000, my opinion, use my ratio, my head, to get that client if the average client spending thirty grand with me. So I know there'll be a percentage of those clients that'll stay on longer term and I'll get a, a larger return out of those. Too many people, I think they're worried about the cost per click or the cost per acquisition or cost per conversion and not truly worrying about, they don't get to the point of deciding what it costs to get the client. I just did, to give you an example, I have a new client now for my marketing agency. And what we realized was in the last year and a half, they've spent uh, about $160,000 roughly in ad spend and ad management. When we really did the math on this, we found out that their their average clients were $600, but they're spending $3,600 to get that client. That is a little upside down. So we have to basically put on that situation, we just put the brakes on it to stop what we're doing. Let's go back and dig into this. Let's build a strategy. Let's figure out what the clients are worth, where they're falling apart, and why you're not getting, I guess, more clients. They're getting a lot of leads. They just weren't getting a lot of clients. So then we start dissecting that. So what the key is, I think what we find out with that client is they were they were never even looking at the reports. If the and the at the time the person, here we come back to the wedge, the incumbent was delivering reports but not delivering proactive services. And they also the reports they delivered they're even complicated for me to understand. So if I go back to put my wedge into this, you know, I used a few wedges during this process. But the key is you have to deliver something that's valuable to the client and they have to understand truly what they're getting for the value. I think with marketing, it's easy to deliver something that no one understands or they don't care to understand. That's right. Go back to uh, a financial advisor telling you, like, here's the eight, eight, 18 places we're going to put your money. And uh, it's not that you don't want to understand, but the gobbledygook they tell you, it's like it's like waiting through a pile of pea soup. I mean, it's 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 pretty hard in most cases. People don't do a good job of explaining that and breaking it down step by step and putting the metrics on it. And I think they're confused because, I mean, you, you know, you, you get, you know, you, some stuck in Infusionsoft, some stuck in somewhere else, some stuck over in Google, some stuck everywhere else. And it's like, so it's hard. It's very, it's, and I think a lot of this, again, comes down to to solve your problem for the marketing. It's going to take a, a marketing plan, a good strategy, understanding the true value of that client, working out what you're willing to spend to get that client, and then putting the marketing in place. The sequences, there's more than just a funnel. There's a sequence involved. There's email. There's follow-up. There's phone calls. There's tech. There's so many ways today. And it's also not as simple as just running ads on YouTube or ads on Facebook. There's much more to it. You really have to have a, an omnipresence, I believe, so people start seeing Randy. When they first visit your webpage or visit your ad or visit your event page, 
they then get tagged to where they're retargeted across the internet. Whether they're watching Fox News, CNN, all those, you know, whatever, you, they always see Randy's ad. Once you start seeing that, conversions start going up and the cost of those remarketing ads are so much less than a Facebook ad. So all we have to do is use a platform, examples, to start identifying with a good piece of copy, identifying those people, and then retargeting across the internet until they either opt out or they buy, essentially. I think one other thing is I think a lot of people, they're afraid to offend the prospect. So like, well, I say, well, let's, we're going to send 17 emails the first four days, four hours apart. And the first thing I hear from my prospect or my clients, like, oh man, it's too much. They're going to hate me. The first thing you have to understand is people are not tuning in. They're not opening your emails. They don't know they got 17. They might have thought they got three and they finally opened one, but they just don't pay attention. There's always, there's so much distraction in the world. So I think one of the big things is, is well, I don't mean, it's, it's got to be a sequence that makes sense, but it has to be a lot of emails, a lot. They have to see your ads several times. With that and the right budget and then the right scale, I believe we can solve the marketing piece you have if you find a team that will actually do strategy and explain it in a way that you understand it and it accomplishes your goal that you want to uh, the goal you want to accomplish. There you go, man. I do want to ask one thing about the Wedge Group. You're not just an author; you also have a software program for the ins- commercial insurance industry for sales management. Is that a good explanation? That how you would- yeah, you could call it. Yeah, I mean, it's almost like a Salesforce.com built for selling commercial insurance. And and so if you, I mean, a lot of people think Salesforce.com is very fancy and all this sort of stuff. I I think it's really pretty basic. And so then I'm adding goal setting in it. I'm adding um, our our sales meeting platform in it. I sell all the training how to do it, uh, adding our five-layer email voicemail, a lot of coaching and all this sort of stuff. So the answer is yes. And also with the proactive service platform, the Billy Create, the service plan, all that stuff. So that it really matches up perfectly with if you're a web seller, that's what it's designed to do. So in your marketing, I saw how your eyes lit up and started talking about that SaaS application. I think it's important to the industry, important to you. Is that ultimately your goal of your marketing? is to get people informed, educated, and then preferably subscribe to your application? Well, yeah, I mean, the application is an enabler that then makes the training come alive, right? So the application by itself is worthless. Uh, it's not worthless, but it's, you know, if unless people have been educated, I mean, I could I could bring you a Ferrari and you're going to drive it like your Volkswagen. You're not going to drive it like a Ferrari. You, you haven't been trained to. You can't go around the corners, more likely. Are you, are you a race car driver? No, but I, I drive like I am. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to bet you don't. Uh, and I'll tell you why. Uh, a couple of years ago, I went to the Porsche driving school down in um, down in Birmingham. I've had a Porsche for a long time. Um, when you get out there on that track behind one of those professional drivers, you find out you're a big old wuss. And you, it, it takes a lot of training to, 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 to really get used to what that car feels like on your ass when you're going around pulling those G-forces and stuff. I mean, it, it's, it's a deal. So to give somebody a Ferrari without the training or a Porsche without the training, they'll never get, they'll get about 30% utilization out. Well, so that's what the SaaS app is without the training. But and so then it becomes enabler. So then we do the training, web training, red hot introductions training, uh, both statement appointment setting training. And then we're and then we're all of our goal setting so that people start thinking about because here's so here's something really interesting, Mark. Um, a perspective I have for producers for salespeople, and it hit me literally 24 years ago because I had a six four two a newborn, and um, I was just out there just working as hard as I could. And uh, I met a guy who I mean he came in, he came in late to one of 
of my sales meetings and I was kind of poking him in the ribs a little bit and he apologized for being late. And, I, and he said he'd, he'd been out five, 600 miles away, taking his daughter to school and drove all the way back. Anyway, so, and that's why he got in late and that's why he showed up late. So I kind of, I said, well, do, do you have any other kids in school? And he said, this is my second. And I kind of looked him in the eye and said, at least the good news is all paid for, isn't it? And he ducked his head and did one of these things. And that's when I had my holy crap moment because I didn't have a plan for, I got four daughters, four cars, four universities, four weddings. And one big retirement, I had no clue how much money I needed to make and or save to fund all that stuff. And I'm telling you, Mark, neither does anybody else, maybe maybe 1%. So built into my SaaS platform is getting producers to think about what's in it for them. And, and don't just work hard and pat yourself on the back. Let's work smart with the intent to grow your savings capability, not just your income. And if I can get you saving money somewhere in the range of 50, 55, 60, $65,000 a year for the next 20 years, then you're going to be about a 3 million. You can be worth about 3 million when you retire. Most people never get to that. And so when you get on purpose, and so then everything else about the SAS app and all the training then becomes, okay, now that you know what you want, now let's figure out how to go make it happen. The app, the SaaS app makes them more efficient. The training makes you more effective. You mix those together. That's a pretty good elixir. That's what we're trying to do. I love it. I love that you bring all that in, including their financial wealth, explain that, understand the, the why, why they need to be doing this. And uh, that's amazing. I love that. One other example that when you said that your software people, they don't know how to use it, it's worthless. Being in the IT industry, I've seen some pretty crazy stuff. I came across a client one day and they had Microsoft Excel open and they had their Cat, their, uh, their adding machine calculator next to their desk. And they were typing numbers in the Excel, but they were adding it up on the calculator and putting it into the Excel document so they could send it to somebody. It's just, it's like, again, the tool is so powerful, but they were using it as a scratch pad. I took five minutes, showed them how to do a simple formula and probably changed their life forever. Following that, that leads into a wedge that we have is we offer free of charge to all of our clients, unlimited training for every employee on a hundred applications, video training already recorded, accessible from our software itself. So they can get advanced training on Excel and Word and Teams and QuickBooks and sexual harassment and HIPAA, whatever it is, because we know that trained people are less likely to click on stupid stuff and get ransomware essentially. And that's a tool that our competitors don't invest in and don't build. Now, here's how you make that better. You ready? Yes, please. Yeah. So, so to have all that video training available without a plan for how to use it almost becomes worthless because everybody's too busy to go in there and do it. True. So then the next thing is, is to have, have some sort of, um, not survey, but some sort of document that goes through and, and tries to determine what level is somebody on Excel? Are they level one, level three, level five, level 10? And if you can find a way to, to assess that, then start to point them in the right direction and create a curriculum and have them finish up and then give rewards. And so that's the service that sits on top of the product. See, a lot of people can offer that video because you don't make those videos. You buy that service. Am I right or wrong? Yeah, you're correct. Yeah. You know, so and, and that's it's a great service, but it doesn't get used. And it, I see that all the time in the commercial insurance business. Um, they'll buy the they'll buy the access utilization of some product or some tool to be able to then turn around and give it to their clients. But there's no plan for how their clients are ever going to implement it so that it never gets used. And therefore, and when it doesn't, it doesn't have any value. They va the value is zero. Even though we're excited about it, I'm excited about it, you're excited about it. If the client doesn't use it, the value is zero, even though we're giving it to I them. see that. We, we so that's where you start to think about. We gamify that for a ahead. while. And our, our software does gamify it. We, tried, we thought we'd build up this rivalry and this competition among the employees it only lasted at maybe a 20 employee company, two employees were competing because there were maybe, I guess maybe we didn't deploy it correctly. It wasn't enough reward, but it just wasn't something that got people to, act, to use it. 
But I see what you're saying now. Remember, assessment, find out where they're at, define a curriculum that, that the management yeah. supports, and then grade the report on that as well. Yeah. And then your and then your then your reporting comes back and whether it's on a monthly basis or quarterly basis, then you go, hey, let's go through utilization of this. You know, you got twenty employees, you know, seven or seven did this, fourteen did this, zero did this, blah, 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 blah. But the need still exists. So now let's set up the new ninety day plan of action and how you can drive in there and let's talk about what it, it does for you in two ways. Number one is here's here's the efficiency they're gonna get better at because they know how to do these things. It's like I get in there all the time. It's like I'll I'll be trying to do something on Word or PowerPoint and I won't know how to do it. So then I'll I'll y'all get on teams and message Reagan and go, hey Reagan, how do you do this? Right. So I mean we're everybody's got a level of ignorance somewhere. And um I love it. That's, that's great. Thoughts. That's a bonus right there, Randy. I didn't expect that, but that's huge because I was selling the product and not the benefit or whatever you would call that. I like that. Well yeah well you maybe you were selling the benefit but but if you really want it to bring value, they people got to use it. And so now you think about it, reverse engineer it. Um, if if I were going to use it, I'd have to have some sort of assessment to know where you know where do I need to tap into that to be able to take me to the next level, rather than having to go through a bunch of videos I could care less about. That's number one. If I'm the employee, number two is if there's no accountability at all and no recognition for doing it, I might not do it. So you, you sit there and kind of think about that inside out and go, okay, how do I create that structure? So that the client, my client, the leaders, executives, all sorts of stuff, get what they want out of it and they drive it down and, and then it becomes a value add. It becomes a legitimate value. I love it. And that's work, right? That's work. And that's what most people don't want to do. That's right. But that's, it says little, little stuff like that, that, that makes the difference. I love it. That's great. I want to implement that, exactly that whole process and build value in that and use that as a, add that to my stack of wedges. I've never used that one. So great, Randy. I appreciate you coming on today. I, uh, I'm going to value your time. I see you've got a golf course behind you. <laughs> uh, I love it. Yeah. I just had to get out of the house. We're, we're selling the house. And so the inspectors came in and I had to go. And so I came down here and since I couldn't get internet, I decided like, there you go, man. It looks pretty good up there. That's beautiful. beautiful. Uh, One last thing, how would people, the best way to contact you or to follow Randy or get more information about your services or your books? Yeah, just the wedge.net and you'll see places there where you can opt in and you you fill out a form and, you know, download a free book, Agency Growth Machine. I mean, that's a that's a book for sales leaders to, to think about. A stru- I've got a five step structure to build to, to to build a sales culture built a, built around the wedge. So you do that, and then if you want to talk about how to how to implement something in, in a firm, you know that's that. And then you also get in there. I mean, we do we did, we did a first live wedge workshop. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, and and we're also doing virtual. Another virtual is coming up uh, the week after next. So we we'll flip back and forth between live and virtual about once every six eight weeks wedge workshop and stuff. They must come to that and get in there and figure out how to register. Sounds great. I'll put all those in the show notes. I have links to Randy's uh, contact information as well in our show notes, and I encourage everybody to click on it, buy the book, read it. It'll change your life as mine. So thank you, Randy. I appreciate that, and I hope I hope added some value to you today and at least a little clarity on your marketing. And uh, I look forward to you know, chatting with you again soon, Randy. Thank you. Thanks, Bob. You've been listening to the Entrepreneur Breakthrough Podcast. Our passion is to teach entrepreneurs that there is light at the end of the tunnel. Learning from some of the most successful entrepreneurs. People who've overcome insurmountable obstacles. We hope you enjoyed the show and we hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from it. Make sure to like, rate, and review. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, follow Mark on Instagram at Mark Marley. See you next time.